I don't know, there was just something inside me that said, you know, you're not, you're not done. I, I think you can get, you can get back out there. If, like I've always said, if there's a will, there's a way. If you really want something, you, you can get it done. And um, Hello and welcome to the Off-Field Rugby Pod. I'm your host, Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish age-grade international player, now playing in Vancouver and coaching collegiate rugby. Each week, I chat with somebody involved at the top end of the game to hear about their journey, get their insights, and learn about how they do what they do. On Instagram, I'm the Off-Field Rugby Coach. That's at Off-Field Rugby. Please follow me there. I share content around mental skills and performance and also clips from the pod. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening if you haven't already. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. And in the review, let me know what you like about the podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts. Lastly, please share the pod with some friends. Those different things help people find the pod and are really, really appreciated. Today I'm chatting with Niall Williams, who is a Black Ferns Sevens player, Olympic silver medalist, and before transitioning to Sevens, was captain of the New Zealand National Touch Rugby team. Niall won silver in Rio and was set to go to Tokyo last summer, where her team ultimately won gold, but she suffered a freak injury in training that ruled her out of the Olympics just weeks before they were set to go. And for a while, that injury seemed very, very serious. She talks about this time, how difficult it was, but also what she learned from it, what perspective it gave her and how it shifted her mindset. She also chats about the influence her older brother, Sonny Bill, has had on her and a particular time where he helped her out of a black hole, times that rugby made her feel worthless, the importance of connection amongst teammates and showing vulnerability, the love that she feels for her teammates in the Blackfern Sevens, trauma, how she deals with shitty comments online, the money Sevens players make and how grateful she is, being a mum, how that has impacted her as a person and a player, and lots more. Niall is a very, very wise person, has had a brilliant career so far and gives some great insights and lessons throughout this. So a quick mention from our sponsor and then it's episode number 29 with Niall Williams. A lot of people stress about money. Where should you be investing? Are you prepared if there's a crash? And loads more. And if you're not an expert, finances can be really daunting. I know the people at Sparks Wealth and they're brilliant. What they do is they educate you on your finances without any jargon. They create a personalized plan for you and manage your money so that it's working for you and so that you don't need to be worrying about it. You can book a free, no obligation Zoom call now on their website, sparkswealth.ie. So congrats on getting the all clear from the doctor, the surgeon to return to play and get back at it. Thanks, yeah, I mean, um, it was just a couple of days ago, but um, I was quite nervous going into the appointment because I knew, um, you know, since obviously I got injured just before the Olympics, so, um, I've been working hard kind of on myself and, and, and doing all my rehab stuff in the, in the background and um, building up to that moment. So uh, going, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I was definitely stoked to um, get that, the good news from from the surgeon and get the all clear to pretty much, yeah, return to play now. Nice one. So 
what was it exactly um discs in your neck yes yeah, so um it was about two weeks before olympics and we were just doing some contact training it wasn't even a game or anything <laughs> and um, we were just doing some contact that training and i kind of um like something happened and, and a knee kind of went into the side of my head by accident and i felt like a you know like but i yeah. guess we feel that all the time when we play and i didn't think too much of it and um it wasn't until the next morning i woke up and i was like oh man my neck's real stiff and so um anyway i warmed up trained and when i went to um pass the ball and in, in one of our drills like i got pins and needles all down my arms and i thought man that's it doesn't seem right um yeah. so i jumped off and, and then um after training the doc came and seen me and i think the bit that confused a lot of people was i still had all my strength and like no numbness or anything like that so they thought it might have not had been uh been as worse as what it actually was and then obviously i went and got the scan and um i come up with there was two discs that were um bulging onto my spinal cord so I think it was like C3, 4, 5 and 6 and um, pretty much yeah got told you're not going to the Olympics and possibly you're probably not going to play ever again so it was a bit Jeez. of a double whammy in, in one conversation so I don't know if it's I know a lot of people would find it hard to believe but it almost took the um, how do you say it? took like the pain away of not going to the Olympics because it was almost like something worse was there too yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was almost had to forget about that like I was gutted but and focus more on like whole oh, like my whole life could be changing um, in that one moment so yeah that's kind of what happened um, how I got told and obviously because missing out on the Olympics, the surgeon just said to me, well, you don't have any tournaments coming up. Let's just, because you've got all your feelings and you're actually your symptom free, let's just wait it out and see if any, if your neck does some good for you. And and um, yeah, it did. It, so one of the discs ended up fully healing right back um, and it's, it's fine now. And so then only one disc needed surgery. So I ended up getting a disc replacement in the C5-6. And um yeah, there's a lot of players who have, I think like Dan Carter, and there's a few players who have come back from that injury. Uh, so, yeah, become a return to play, and I've just been grinding away in the back of all the niggly rehab <laughs> exercises, yeah. trying to strengthen it back up. But, yeah, that's probably kind of a breakdown of what's what happened. Yeah, it's mad the way you say it, that it's like you're missing out rugby, but then it's more serious, like life. Mm. Well... Being a mum, you know, like the conversations turned quickly from playing to like, what's my life going to be like post rugby? And yeah. and I had to really take that into consideration um, when ha choosing to have the surgery to return to play, whether I just leave it and, and you know, just because I don't have any symptoms, just don't risk it or... And so, like, I did a lot of thinking and a lot of talking with um, the doc, physio, and obviously my partner, um, my family... And um, I don't know, there was just something inside me that said, you know, you're not, you're not done. I, I think you can get, you can get back out there. If, like I've always said, if there's a will, there's a way. If you really want something, you, you can get it done. And um, so I just, I just signed another contract for um, New Zealand Rugby for um, just the one year one. And I just said to myself this year, like, just be the best you can be. There's no pressure to 
So, you know, like anything, I just don't have any pressure on my shoulders and it's, and it's quite nice. And so I'm just going to train, get myself to a place, hopefully where I can play. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And um, it's quite nice to, to finally be in that state of mind. Cool. Yeah. So you're not like looking too far down the line, like I was Olympics in three years. You, you just want to get about out there, have fun, get back at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, obviously it would be amazing to go to, to the next Olympics and um, things like age and that, that's never, ever stopped me. You know, like heaps of people, oh, you're old, da, 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 all that stuff. But I've seen amazing athletes do amazing things at, at an age where they shouldn't. Um, yeah. And and I don't have to look far, you know, I look across to my, my brother, obviously, and, and he had a long, long career. And he, he was plagued with a lot of injury, but he, he got through and he still was able to do stuff at the top level. So um, that's never phased me. Like, I, I don't, that's not, um, it's what I want. And it, and it's nice to be in a stage where mentally it's um, my own standards. And um, my standards is I train with the best team in the world if I can keep up with them or beat them at training, then I'm good enough. So, um, yeah, I, I am like, I, I won't lie. I'm a little bit nervous to, um, you know, obviously when I finally do return out on that field with, with the girls to see kind of where I'm at and, um, to go against them and to see if I can get my groove back. Um, because I've been out for the longest time I've ever been out of the game. So yeah, it's, it's a challenge though that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to say about the older athletes as well these days. Like like you say, your brother Sonny Bill playing to his mid thirties, uh, Roger Federer, Tom Brady, like all these Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, like all these superstars at the top of the game are are old. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at our team, on average, the starting seven, you know, for the last five years has been our oldest players. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, they deserve the spot too, you know. Like, um, we, we, I'm obviously at training every day. I see the grind they put in. I see the way they carve up. I see what they bring to the team, and they deserve their spot. So um, they lead from the front, and they get the starting spot, and they just happen to be the oldest in the team. Um, I will say, though, like, I've played sports my whole life, and coming from a semi-professional sport of um, touch rugby, the my mindset back then, pre-kids, um, pre-life pretty much you know when you're just living in the dream like almost like you could do anything and just turn up and carve as you get older you don't have that luxury and you experience things in life that give you a different perspective of where you are give you a different appreciation of what you have and um, all of that plays a role into your mental capacity and what you almost physically can do more than other young players because they don't Mm. have that mental toughness yet because and it's no fault of theirs. They just haven't experienced life. They haven't been through some of those things, traumas or or good times where you want to live that again and you know how to get there. You know, they haven't had that. So that experience is, you can only get it, obviously, with, with time. Yeah, it's so true Say what you say there. Like, you think when you're a kid, you think everything's easy and it's all going to be a straight line. And then you get, like, I don't know, punched in the face or like Mike Tyson <laughs> used to say. And then yeah. it's like you, you do, that adversity does, like, make you so much stronger that you can't really explain to it I don't know you can't really explain it yeah I mean I I can't even like my first big injury was when I was 18 19 I did my ACL and I had and I pretty much yeah had to miss out on a world cup selection to go for touch and and that was hard so I've probably like from a young age I've had to mentally come back from injuries 
and I've had my fair share of injuries and, and push through that. And then you, on top of that, um, I was working and, and you're paying to play touch. So with touch, you're, you're paying to play in your backyard. You're paying to get a black singlet after getting selected. You do all that hard work and you get selected and then they're like, cool, can we have four grand from you to play 20 minutes from your house? Wow. And it's like, whoa, but that was the norm and that's the grind you went through. You, you had a job, you worked to pay to play the sport you, ha- you had so much passion for. And even though it was heaps, the community came together, your family came together, you know, raffle tickets, selling anything, sausage sizzles, like all of that stuff just to get on the field. So it meant that much more. So when I moved to, to, to rugby, it was almost like, what you're going to pay me to, to play yeah. and train like, and this can be my job. Like I could do this every day. I don't have to go and do that and then find time to train. Like it's just, a, it's a crazy, crazy world. And yeah, I'm just so grateful. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a bit about touch. So, like I'm from Ireland, as you probably tell. We don't really do it so much because it rains all the time. But I have a few buddies from Australia and Kiwis, and uh, they're mad into it. And like, yeah, I've I've I kind of understand it. But yeah, talk to me about what like touch is like in New Zealand. Uh, touch is probably uh, like I always say is the most underrated sport in the world. Um, because of how big it is in, in most countries, but locally, you know, it's not like, so you could go down to most fields in, 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 in a few countries, in, in lots of countries actually, and yeah. some, everyone knows how to play a game of touch footy, like, you know, and then on top of that, you start bringing in the skills that can transfer to so many rugby league, sevens, you know, all these different um, ball sports. It's just so underrated and what it actually can do. And then on top of that, like my time of touch, I will forever be grateful because of the the people I met, um, the places it took me, um, the lessons I learned. So I've learned a lot through touch, through selection, non-selection, um, what it takes to be a captain of a national team, uh, what, what it was like kind of first going in and um, being that newbie and you're looking to all these people, you, you're just like starstruck and you, it's just, and you now you're in that national team with them at the age of 15, 16, you're like, Whoa. So for me, t- everything that touch has brought me and it was also my gateway into sevens. Um, I'm always grateful for, but it's like so many life lessons and so many perspectives that make me who I am as a sevens player. Mm. And so were you mad into touch like from age of like, like you said, a young age and was that always the goal to, you went on to captain the touch blacks and was that always the goal to get to the top? I actually, when I was younger, this is so weird, but I always kind of like, you know, when they go, what do you want to be when you're older? And it was always a silver fern for sports or um, because netball was our national woman's sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like rugby, you didn't play rugby really if you're a female. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to be a lawyer because they made lots of money. Like that was kind <laughs> yeah, of like the stereotype, kid, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. When um, you're younger, it, you get told you got to do this yeah. job or whatever. And it's like, oh. <laughs> and then, I, and then I went to school and I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll cross off that lawyer one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's plan B? <laughs> yeah. And then I, so I, I actually played a lot of, um, like I say, I played school netball throughout my years and, and a couple of rep teams in that, but I kind of, um, was just playing local touch with a team, with a, a friend's fa- so a friend of mine at school. They had a family team, and I was playing with them. And we used to win the comps down at the local module. And then a guy come up to me, and his name was Peter Walters, and um, he's like the legend of touch. And uh, he said to me, you know, oh, do you want to come play for my club team? And I was looking at him like, 
nah, man, why would I want to play with you? I'm in the winning team. Like, who are you? And then he ended up, le- and I, he goes, oh, I'll call you. Bye bye. Got my number. He left, and the, my team come up, and they're like, oh my God, that's Peter Waters. What did he want? And I was like, who? And they're like, Peter Waters. He's like the legend of touch. And, and I said, oh, he's set to go play with his team, Galaxy. And um, I don't know if you know, but Galaxy Touch is like a worldwide club. Like it's in so many countries. And um, yeah, so (laughs) they were like, you have to go play. And it kind of grew from there. So he took me under under his wing and I would have been about 12, 13. And that's when I started probably learning like, oh, because they actually were in the championship grade galaxy. We were in the uh, the one under. Friendly I didn't know that. Or, yeah. yeah, so I thought we were like the, the shit. <laughs> the but shit, really, yeah. We were, yeah, anyway, so I went and then I started to find out what like real touch was like, competitive touch, like plays. And, and he just taught me everything, took me under his wing. And I think the best thing about it was he took me into the mixed grade. And so I was constantly playing against men, you know, or like uh, teenage boys and and in the I knew that I really wanted to play competitive touch when I like frothed at the thought of playing against men rather than women. Yeah. I wanted to beat the guy. I was not scared at all. Put me in the middle or I'd do plays with Pete on guys. You're like I loved it so much and I don't know, I just kind of you know, when you just have that natural feel for a for a sport, so it just was comfortable and it was just um, exciting and I couldn't wait to play and yeah, so that's kind of like how, and then I just started going through all the levels. I think I played for Auckland, um, like so in our interprovincial, like a rep level when I was 15, my first nationals in the opens grade. Um, and then I just kind of went from there and then it kind of got to a crossroad where I had to choose because then the um, there was one national, so you play for your province, um, like your cities and that. And then from there, they pick a squad for New Zealand's, like New Zealand Open Mix, New Zealand Women's and New Zealand Men's. And the women's coach and the mixed coach had both approached me to play, uh, to like go to the camps to try and get a place in their teams. And I said to Pete, um, what what do I do? You know, like he's like my dad in touch. And he just said, as much as I would love you to come and play New Zealand with me in mixed, he goes, I just think you're like a waste. Like I think you are a leader, a born leader, and you need to be directing play. That's what you're good at. So I think you should take your chances in the women's grade. And, and I did, and I made the team with another player um, called Renee Whitcliffe. So you might know when she's yeah. in the, the women's. So me and her being friends since we were very young. And, um, yeah, so we went and made, played that um, that tournament. It was all nations, and we ended up – Aussie had never been beaten, and we only lost them in a drop-off. So it was a real, real cool 2005 that was. And um, I, played, I played my last women's in 2015. So 10-year kind of stint in there. And it, and it was quite – um, satisfying that in that 2015 World Cup we were the first ever team in like f- since the 80s to beat an Australian Open Women's team at a World nice. Cup. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, good way to sign out. Yeah, it was, and I, and I was actually in tra- like transitioning into sevens while while I was playing there, and um, obviously I went to the Olympics that next year, and I came back, and I remember. Like I was started doing weights and all that kind of stuff, you know, training every yeah. day. And I came back and everyone was kind of like, what the heck? Like I had bigger arms than the guys in there. <laughs> and and I could throw the ball all of a sudden like really far because uh, yeah. my touch ball is a little bit smaller than a rugby ball. So, yeah, it was it was a very cool time. Yeah, it's cool to say that as well, but when you're younger playing with the the boys or whatever and like the challenge of that, like wanting the challenge, wanting to – 
be in the most difficult environment. And it's, it's so good for young people to understand that. I think just that you're going to get better by, you know, playing an age up or like mm. your, your case playing against boys or whatever. But, you know, at the time, some people are like, oh, don't do this. I want the easier route. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just there's some some younger like so my sister was just as talented as me my twin sister and um but she never wanted to kind of do that like go handy or go, and and I never like criticized oh like she yelled at me a few times on the field like shut up relax because I was always like no 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 I want to win yeah. but um yeah so we we're obviously cut from the same piece of cloth but we're total opposites in how we want so it's when parents or people are trying to you know, put people in those positions, it's usually up to the kid and they usually either thrive or or they mm. just want to get out of there and they're, and they're uncomfortable. And um, it's so awesome to see some of those young kids, you know, now today even like step up and you're, they're just like, I'm all good. Like, don't care if I fail. And I think that's probably the biggest thing you see of kids is they, they're too scared to fail because yeah. they think if I fail once, then I can never do it again. But yeah. But, you know, like we fail lots in life and, and it's how we react to that that's important. So and how the people around us react, um, you know, as, as a mum mm. myself, I see my kids fail a lot of times. But if I was to yell at them every time they fail, they're not going to want to do it again. Mm. So you've got to just keep supporting them and maybe they keep thriving and they get better and better or maybe they don't. And that's OK, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. And when you talk to me about touch, so like you're in high school and then when you were 18, like leaving high school, you were playing touch. Obviously now you're a full-time pro, have been for a few years, but like with touch, you're working as a postwoman, wasn't it? And yeah. then play like, so you're like working away and then playing at the top, top level of your sport. Like, how was that? Um, it was hard when I, honestly, when I turned um, 18 in my, the, I reckon the hardest thing for me when I was turned 18 was, so I'd been playing about three years, you know, kind of in that top level. And then um, I turned 18, 19, and I did my ACL. And it was that mm. first, that was, and then working on the top of that, like having to be out from work, be out from touch. And I put on so much weight. I put on like, I don't know, about 10 kgs. And it was the first time ever I was like, because you know, when you're younger, you just eat whatever you want, drink whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. want. Yeah. And you turn up and you carve like it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. And your body's just loving you. And then all of a sudden you turn 18 and you're starting to turn into a woman. And it's like, where did you come from? Your 10 kgs and, and you get injured. And and so, um, yeah, I, I definitely struggled at times, but I learned to grow up really quick and be independent. My family was... Um, so my mum and dad split when we just before we went to intermediate and so for us that was tough because my mum and dad went to two different houses obviously and we had to change so we were all set to go to a certain intermediate with all our friends me and my twin sister and the boys were already at college they were at um, Mount Albert Grammar and we had to change because we went and lived with my mum and she moved right next to Avondale um, intermediate and, and we were supposed to go to Wesley over in Mount Albert so that was real difficult and my my twin and I, we were just so lucky we had each other and, and we kind of grew from that. And I think um, those kind of moments and, and taught me to be more independent too and mm. we had to learn and make new friends. And, and then as time went on, my family kind of like Sonny got their contract in Aussie. So my dad moved over there to help with him. Johnny was out working, my oldest brother. 
and then my sister ended up moving to Aussie and then there was a time too in college my um my mum moved over there so I was actually the only one here in New Zealand finishing school so I moved in with my nana my mum's mum Denise and and having to be independent like you know when you when you usually your mum's at home making your lunches or giving you money and she's putting dinner on the table every day like I that was my role like I was helping look after my nana I had to catch a bus all of a sudden like usually I just walk next door to school where we used to live learning to catch a bus um doing all my own school work like my looking at my own reports things like that it was quite some would say really daunting it was a bit but I just grew up really fast I think and um all of that, I think, has an impact on the head I have on my shoulders now in these later years and how mm. I probably can almost handle handle a little bit of pressure on my own more. Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah. it's so so cool there, the way you say, like, just once again, like, adversity, like, looking back always on tough times, adversity, that's how we grow. Yeah. And with during it, was it, a, was it tough during it? Were there ever, like, difficult during those times when you're in it? Um, yeah, I remember like there's times where you think, why has my family all left me here? Because yeah. like, I'm only like 17, 16. Um, why did they all just leave me here? And But it wasn't like that at all. It's just I knew that they all had their own things going on like and were struggling in other areas and they were trying to make themselves better. And it just, I knew my mum would never go if she didn't think I was safe and my nana was our closest thing in my mum's family like we grew up with my nana so I was always safe and I always felt loved but there was definitely times where you would go home and it would just be you or you'd have to somehow find a way to to get to a training or you know things like that and they had done that my parents had done that for us our whole lives and then all of a sudden they're all over there and I'm trying to because my nana can't drive and I'm trying to figure out ways and and that's kind of where my second circle of family comes into play big time like Peter Walters and I had mates from touch like um, Pete's daughter Kylie Walters Delisha Weeper like these these names who stuck by me and and they would pick me up for all the trainings and almost kind of you know step into that role of making sure this young girl gets to these trainings and thrives where she can to to be the best person she can be and not fall into easy ways of what it is you know when you're 16 17 you can go down another track so yeah Nice. So important, yeah, to have kind of mentors and people guiding you on the, getting you on the right track, keeping you there. Yeah, and I've had plenty of my time. Um, just, so, I'm just been very lucky to have been looked after by lots of people um, growing up in the sports world. And it's quite funny every time I get the opportunity because my partner still plays touch. He'll go back to a nationals, and I'll go with him. And and because I played with the opens when I was younger, I go around and I don't even know any of the people my age really I only yeah. know all the older people so I'm always over at the master's tent saying hi to everyone and that and and it's so lovely to see them and you talk about the memories and the moments you had with all of them and and in return they almost say it's like they're like thank you for making it because I feel like I'm now part of your journey which is real yeah. cool yeah that's awesome. And you mentioned there the ACL when you were 19. I listened to Sunnyville's book and there's a part in that about you, you talk or like the narrator talks about um, you have a partner where it's like, did you think of quitting or you're just real down when that happened? Yeah, so that so it was the so I'd done my ACL and I had put on all that weight and I kind of like I did my rehab really well, but the shape I was in was 
not nowhere near to compete, but I just, because I was still young, I went in and I played national, nationals and it was kind of that first year I didn't get selected and it, it was only a paper team that year, but it was, a, and you're sitting there and you're just used to hearing your name get read out and it didn't get read mm. out. And I remember being like, what, like, who am I? Like, I, I'm nothing. I can't even make the team. Like, you're, like literally, like, you're a piece yeah. of shit, now. Like, you're just yeah. worthless. And um, all these thoughts are running and you start to go into this big black hole and you're like, well, if touch, if sports, if everyone, they don't know what you know, then you start mm. playing the blame game. And, and it's funny when you're that age because when you play the blame game, you never look at yourself. It's always like your fault. You didn't do this. Why didn't you pick me? You don't know what you're talking about. But in reality, I got to sit down with um, Sonny Boy and he just said, look, come down to Christchurch because he was with the Crusaders at that moment, at that time. And he just said, I'll get you, you can do posting down here. Um, but he goes, you just do that whenever you want some extra cash. And literally he said, all I want you to do is um, like do the food shopping, clean the house and I'll get you a PT, smash your goals out um, and I'll pay you like a job so you don't have to just so you can fit in and almost like when I think about it now it was kind of like being a professional athlete like yeah, I didn't realize first, he was almost time. yeah you know and and so I got to live there and my partner Tama come down with me as well and he was uh postie too at the, that's how I met him so he just carried on doing full-time posting and and we both trained and and he got me a PT Mikey D down there and um yeah, I just became, I just had this mindset where I was like so grateful that he took me, you know, like took me under his wing and said, like a big brother and just said, and my oldest brother was there too. And which was really cool. And it was like a being back with family. So yeah. I loved it. I loved being in. So my oldest brother kept Sonny in line, you know, when he thought he was the man. And then, yeah. and then Sonny and Johnny both kept me in line and, and you know, I just trained my give back to them to say how grateful I was, was um, to train as hard as I can. And I dropped all the weight I'd put on and I went, I remember I went back and I just carved like in touch. I just was so like happy and I just played my heart out and, and I found the love for touch again. I actually wanted to play. I wanted to make the team. And I also had moments where I could talk, um, you know, to my brothers and, they could give me honest feedback and I, and I always knew that it was from like a place of love. Um, so whether it was kind of brutal honesty or, a, you know, a little get me up speech, I knew what was coming from a place of love. So I always took it in and um, yeah, I, they, I really thank, you know, them for getting me out of a hole that if I didn't, who knows, you know, I could have just been working a nine to five and never kind of carried on in that path. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, brilliant you say there, um, like switching that mindset of like just blaming when things don't go right to to just taking it on yourself. I mean, like, what did I do wrong? Where do I need to get better? Mm. Yeah, and I think that comes off a time of like mature, like you get more mature and you mm. realize that the whole world doesn't revolve around you and um, that things that happen, it could actually be your fault like yeah. and I've learned with this team too now that our sevens team like what role did you play in the outcome rather than saying trying to look for all the roles that everyone else played first of all looked at what role you played in, and accepted and um, the biggest thing of growth is being able to accept like I said earlier on you know like failure 
that oh actually I fucked up there <laughs> mm. I didn't do that right and that was the cause instead of being like oh nah because that pass was shit so I dropped it well no actually it was okay and you just dropped it like just own it it's all good and but knowing that that one mistake or that failure doesn't define you mm. yeah it's like you were saying earlier about just fa- uh, like uh, your approach to failure or like because you know i think a lot of kids they unless they get that reassurance like you say but you know they're afraid to fail and it's mm. it's only when you're failing all the time that you're getting better like you have to be you have to be in training push yourself to that edge where it's you're just the past doesn't go to hand because you're trying such a ridiculous one or you're you know you're you're just working so hard and trying so hard to be the best that you're gonna fail yeah and and honestly i just when I look at things that are like, like so for instance, we, the times that you're going to fail is when you're going into probably to moments where it's like you're really uncomfortable and you feel vulnerable because you don't know what inside, inside out. So imagine me, 10 years at the top of my game, captain of the New Zealand Open Women's Touch Team, and now I'm going to step into this this team where these all these superstars, I'm fucking nobody, and yeah. I'm at the bottom of the pecking order. I'm used to like talking in the team huddles. I'm used to doing all this and leading and then I just thought and thought to myself, you know what, like, what can I do? What what can I control in this uncontrollable environment um, to, to help me and to, um, to, I guess, never mind if I fail. And it was definitely like I thought, okay, my controllables, my fitness, my speed um, work, all that kind of stuff, how I eat, how I am as an athlete, I can control all that. So I'm going to be the best person I can be in that area. And then my uncontrollables rugby, I'm still learning. I'm going to be, I'm going to make mistakes. So being okay with that, how do I help that? You should have seen me at one of my first trainings. I, I think I stopped the training about 62,000 times to ask questions and everyone was getting pissed off, yeah. but I didn't get because I knew I didn't know. So I had to um, ask questions learn. and learn and learn, be open to growth, be open to getting yelled at by the team on the field. Dial, get out. What it like constantly getting yelled at. And not taking it to heart, just being like, okay, afterwards, why were you yelling at me? I, I don't know what I was doing wrong. Can you tell me while well, you're looking at the ruck, but your player's out here on defense, how are you supposed to shut on her? And because heaps of times in touch, you're kind of always constantly looking at the play that's happening. But when it got to 70, you have to do that kind of 80-20 vision and and then learning there's like seven on the field now, but there was only t- six in touch and, and just little different things like, yeah, all of that kind of stuff, but being vulnerable enough to go and ask and then if they yell at you not taking it personal I learned that quite um young from touch to like having older people being in it opens when you're younger like I don't know if it's just how I've been brought up like that I've been enriched with so much love things coming from a place I love I always was able to take on criticism and all that stuff better rather than it being like feeling like it's attacking me I mean don't get me wrong my ego still gets hurt sometimes and I'm like fuck like calm down or you know you you go off a bit or or sometimes in my case I'll just go silent (laughs) rather than saying something back but I have learned probably to deal with um, constructive criticism a lot more especially if the people I know it's coming from a place of love like yeah so yeah you're lucky you learned that at a young age it's uh because it's it's so easy to just take those things personally. Like someone shouts at you, but something I learned a while back is it's not, it, that's their story or their thing. It's nothing. It's not you. It's not what, what someone else does is nothing got to do with you. Like they could yeah. be having a shitty day. They could be just anything could be going on in their life and they take it out on you. And yeah, you just can't take things personally. Yeah. 
I 100% agree with that. And if you're going to be a professional athlete, you need to learn it quite quick because, like you said, when you're at the most uh, pinnacle event and or whatever, you know, if when you've got that black jersey on, there's so much pressure on on you as a team and individuals to, to perform your duties and and your responsibilities and your roles. And, um, and when you put that black jersey on, um, you open up the gate for criticism, not only from mm. your, your teammates and your coaches, but from a whole lot of people. So you need to learn to be able to live with it and also block out the noise. The people who don't matter, the ones that don't have an impact on, that's not going to help you. If they're just there to bag you, you don't need to listen to that that noise. It's it's nothing. Whereas um, you learn to take on the ones that the criticism that actually matters. And in the moment on the field, you know, our team does a lot of work around our personalities and how we respond better to different situations. And because, cool. like, let's be real, like you said, everyone's different and they're all going through their different moments. And so, like you, like you said, it's not your story, it's their story. And and so how they, they are, like, the more I know about them, I'm like, oh, sweet. She or she's actually all good, even though she's yelling. She's sweet. That's just how she's yeah. she's animated. Or else, oh fuck, she's gone quiet. Something must be up. I'm gonna give her a bit of a boost to get up like line, you know? Like so I remember one time on the field we were getting pumped by Australia and I was kinda of like, What the fuck is going on? And I was walking back and I was like, fuck like and then Ruby walked past me and she's like, Love you also, like that. And then I was like, and it like just brought me back to the moment and like fuck, it's all good we're all in this together like you know because you start thinking ah, and getting a bit crazy in my head and when she said that it just brought me right back to that moment and to, to that connection like mm. I'm here still with you I still got your back don't worry about the score we just go again like and I was like yeah we go again and and different yeah so definitely learning about each other how we tick or what makes them tick, or what gets them up, what when they're down, little little cues that we have. So I think that's really important. That's so cool that you do that. That you like understand each other on a like personal one on one level, and so true what you say about different personalities and like even I understand like playing with Polynesian people are generally quite different. I was chatting with Jimmy Goppert on on the pod here, and he said the same. Like when he was growing up playing with the Hurricanes, like he learned to you can learn through doing how to interact with different people of different cu- mm. cultures as was a, a broader one to to do but everyone within cultures are different as well but like yeah. what kind of stuff would you do to work on that so um we actually have done like um a, a couple of years ago we done like personality tests so they actually have things out and and you answer pretty much you get given scenarios and you uh, you answer how you would deal with that scenario you all these different traits of people mm. you kind of tick your box that and then it comes like it gets put in and it you know goes around in a circle and it pops out with your personality and then it says these are the best ways to approach me and these are the cues I have when blah 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 and and so that's kind of like an overall one of about like kind of what type of person you are but the other way is talk to your mate like mm. <laughs> just sit down with Michaela Blind like if she's my winger that day if I'm playing centre and she's winger and I just what, what does it mean when you're doing this? Or if I see you doing this on the field, well, tell me when you need to get up, you know? Like, and literally, like, we, she could say to me, no, nah, I need you to get me up. Yeah, sweet, fucking, I'll get you up. Or, Minnie, if I go silent, you know that you need to ask me, yo, what's going on now? And I need to say, I probably need to get something off my chest. And, and then it's also, the next step is going, 
if this was to happen, would you actually be have the capacity to take that on too? Because you can't just yeah. to everyone, and then they're like, "Oh shit!" And then it, you know, inside they're going, "Oh, you're trying to work like you, you, you have to have that balance because um, we're all out there trying to do our roles as well. We want to help each other as much as we can, but you don't want to offload all your stuff onto someone, and then they're out the gate as well. Like so, definitely a balance. Definitely a lot of talking, connection and learning over the years too of different um, situations, scenarios, personalities, things like that. That's cool because it's that's what like I said, 90% of rugby is, you know, like we get caught up sometimes in strategy, tactics, this, that, the other, but like if it's about <laughs> connecting with each other on the field, isn't it? And understanding how we can get each other up and, you know, build each other up and, yeah, and just connect and, yeah, I think our team's massive in connection and um, we had our first day back uh, yesterday and it was cool. They brought in the first ever Black Fern Sevens player and then they also brought in a, another player who's a legend of the game, Linda Aitono, and um, so we just call her Bindi. But she talked about like like that connection is so important, how um, the connection you have off the field with your teammates is really important and because it translates onto the field, like, you know, so the work each other does, the work ethic, everything, the respect and all that stuff that goes on off the field. Um, and then you see people training their ass off, you see them doing all the one percenters. So when you get on the field, you, you, you know, oh yeah, my sister's got my back next to me, the person standing either side of me, we've all got each other. And that's like, that's that connection. It's just got to be so strong because it just takes one, you know, one chink in the in the chain and then it's like a domino effect, you know, yeah. so you can't, and, and so you need to constantly work on that, constantly work on our connection as a team because, and have the honest conversations. So one of the, you know, the, the links isn't thinking all these things because they don't want to, they're too scared to get it out. And then it just is like a flow on effect, you know, and they, they pull out and then it breaks the chain. So you've got to have moments where, that person speaks up and then they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, And then, go, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable again. And, or oh, I got that piece off my mind. And so other people know how you're feeling. And then we band together and we're still strong. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work, doesn't it, to get that to a place where in a team you can have those kind of difficult conversations, you know, where someone can pull you up and go, Niall, I think you're not working hard enough here. You know, like that. Whereas a lot of teams won't be at a place where they'll say that and you'll just give out to them and it'll just everyone giving out mm. to each other. Yeah, um, we and and it's taken it's taken like you know years for us to get to get to that place and and everything um, I guess impacts to get to that situation because of past traumas and stuff and, yeah. and things that have gone on or how the person is and so you have to work constantly and and the culture that we've set up in our team like our circle of how we work is just got into a place now that like. Yeah, like I've been sat down before and been told, you know, blah blah blah. No, that's not that's not good enough, you know. But and I'm like, yeah, sweet, all good. Like I'll, I'll work harder, I'll do better in that area, or or like even off field, like a conversation, like, fuck, you're coming in here pretty down. Like anyone can feel it. Is everything going on? Is everything like good? You know, what's going on? You want to talk, or if you don't want to talk to me, is any any other, anything I can do to help you? And and to be able to be in that place and someone actually open up to you is, is pretty special. And, and it, almost, it's like you go past being a rugby player, you're actually good yeah. mates. And um, I think that's the, the most important part is we 
genuinely love each other. It's mm. not, I have to love you because you're my, my teammate. It's like, I actually love you and, and I want you to be the best player you can be. But first and foremost, I want you to be a happy, loving, you know, um, person, amazing person that you can be off the field because when you turn up in that that zone, then then I know it's going to translate onto the field. But also, I want you to know that you can be vulnerable and that's massive. Like Bunce, Alan Bunting, our old coach, he who's just stepped away, he is the biggest driver in our team for being vulnerable and he has a lot of moments where he stands up in front of us and and he's been vulnerable and it's inspired a lot of us to to take that um, step into the unknown and, and speak and share and, and and cry in front of each other, get angry in front of each other and, and share your truth um, in front of each other and and still be loved, still be accepted, still get the hug after and be like, you're still nice to me. It's all good. Like, and yeah, it's pretty special. Yeah, yeah well, good for him because I think I coach women now and I think women are far, far better at that than men. I think hopefully men are getting better, but it is – yeah, so important, as you say, to be vulnerable and to not, you don't have to be the strongest, best all the time. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've actually, so in our high performance centre where we train, um, sometimes we have like the men's team, then like our All Black Sevens, or you have like um, the um, the Chiefs, the Bay of Plenty Steamers boys, in, and, and I've had a couple of yarns with a couple of the men's team, and I just, it's... It's kind of heartbreaking to hear when you speak to them like, oh, how's things, you know, and, and if they're like a bit down or whatever and you go, oh, you know, can you share that with your team? And they're like, oh, it's a bit hard. Like hearing that they, you know, there's these teams that are getting paid lots of money and stuff. Mm. So you would hope that they would invest more time into the mental health, well-being of the players. And it's just, I, I know like New Zealand rugby do and they're putting lots into it but it's still, it's like that stigma. It's the players. It's also got to be player driven and, and people like Ari Savia, TJ Perinara, you know, they're coming out and, and being vulnerable and, and speaking up and things like that. And, um, that are coming out with these, like how they really feel. It's like, it's just the best thing to see. And it's so great that, okay, look, um, my, um, a Pacific Islander is now the captain of the All Blacks, got and he's sharing how like he was sad and 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 you know struggled and all these things and it's like this young kid who might be 16 Pacific Islander at a school team is like oh I, I didn't think you would feel like how I feel because you have everything in life like yeah. and that's the that's the key and once more players start following suit and opening up in those circles I know a lot of there's a lot of players, though, male players, which is amazing, in the circles trying to open up that space. They have coffee club. They have, you know, um, dinners or with the backs or whatever, and, and they have that circle to open up and speak. And I definitely feel like women are way ahead of men. I don't know if it's just our personnel or our makeup. Yeah. But we can yeah. definitely share better. But, yeah, um, I, there's definitely room for improvement in the men's. But it is getting better, and we have some amazing role models leading that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like you said, already severe. Like when he was in, what's he saying? They're like missing his family and all this. And it's so true because when you're a kid, I certainly know when I was a kid. You look at your role models or whatever. You think everything is just so easy for them. Everything is brilliant. It's perfect. Their their route to the top was just straight line, yeah. never any difficulties. And <laughs> yeah. then you're like, you get dropped. Like you say, you're like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm nothing. And you you all these things are on your head as a kid. And it's like, and you're like, well, I'm never going to be anything because look, he's so perfect. Yeah. 
And it's just not the case. It's honestly, I it doesn't kind of you know like we all have different ethnicities, backgrounds, upbringings, but some struggled more than others, things like that. But it's never like a contest to see who came from the worst background and made it to the top. It should never be like that. No. Everyone struggles and they're all valid. All your emotions, all your feelings that you feel is, is, is valid. And um, being able to talk about it um, and being vulnerable is the, is the first step, but it's that community. It's our world that we live in, um, accepting that too. Like I remember when I put out the video um, where, of when I obviously didn't make it to the Olympics and then I was crying and, and people were like, oh, she's just, you know, she's a narcissist and she's just trying to make people feel sorry for her. And and, I, and I'm and i lucky I'm strong. Like I'm a strong person and I can mm. wipe that noise out. But in my head, I'm like, it's people like you that have these 15-year-olds at home who just got an ACL, missed out on a team, and then they go and kill themselves because yeah. they can't speak up because yeah. they're, they're fear of what people are going to respond with. And the fact that it's so open now that people feel they have the right to sit there and write such cruel things to a young person playing sports or whatever it may be in their their, their job, and they feel like they have the it's actually like disgusting that they and some of these people are grown adults going in. By all means, if you're an athlete and you've played, I know that that comes with it—the criticism of a game or whatever. But when you start attacking a person personally that you have no idea what they've been through in their life, what situation, current state they're in. Like, it's just so bad. So um, for me, when I put that out, I put things out like that to be like, yep, every now and again you get a shit comment and you get someone, you know, who's just that way. But look at what else you get. Look at all this love and support. Like, I was so overwhelmed with the love and support that I got. It just – and it did help me. It truly helped me. And – um it helped with that grieving process and it made me, you know, like we're all human beings and we all need to feel loved and and wanted and, and just having that support. And like, there was messages that weren't even anything to do with rugby that people, they would like, thank you. You've just, you're like, inspire me to be a better mum or um, to share my emotions with my kids and, or just things that aren't even to do with rugby following my journey. Like, that's what I appreciate. That's why I do what I do. Yeah, it's uh, such a good point, and it's it's so difficult to to block out the those people, but it's so important to try and do it. Like because if you don't share that, or if people don't share things, others don't get inspired, others don't get motivated, and it's like, yeah, I feel it as well. Like I think we all do feel it. You know, you're afraid to do something, and then because there'll be the one person who'll write something shitty or whatever, versus the the 99 percent that are like inspired and motivated and yeah you just got to keep remembering that you're helping those people yeah and I do and I also do it to prove your point before that you know like I'm literally living the dream I couldn't I like to be a professional athlete get paid for it but I do work hard and there is like shitty sides and I'm allowed to all athletes all people in their walks of life when something bad happens you're allowed to be sad about it, even yeah. if you are yeah. in a privileged spot. Like, yeah. you can be sad. It's not like you get paid to play sports and travel the world and play for New Zealand, so stop complaining. Like, why? Oh, that... I just worked five years for a dream and it got taken away from me. 
I, you know, and something I couldn't control, what, am I supposed to be happy and just be grateful? Like, tell me if you were working in your job to get a promotion for five years and then stuff, one thing happened and they go, oh, sorry, you can't have it anymore. So you're going to sit there and be like, oh, I'm just grateful to, to be here. Like, don't talk shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's... tell the truth. Be, be you. Let, let's be vulnerable. Let's say how we feel. And and for me, sharing it because it's a such a um, real part of being an athlete, like my li- our lives as athletes, you know, it's a real part. It's, we live this life, but it's such a risk because it can be taken away from us any time. Yeah, that oh, that's such a point. It does my head in when people are like, who is she to be saying that she's upset? Who is that person to be saying, like, they get paid, they get on with it. It's like, these are people. Like, we, yes. <laughs> like it's like yes. they're people. It's like, they yeah. have emotion, they feel just like you and I. Like you say, the good example with the working in a, an office or whatever for a promotion. It's like, why? Just because I get a, a money into my bank account every month, it's like, I, I all of a sudden don't feel anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm like, you're yeah, still a human being. It's not like we're robots out there. God. Yeah. yeah. And uh, talk to me about um, being a mother. Like, you're, so you're like, before the sevens you're with the touch flex and like she'd been a, a top level athlete for whatever like a lot of years and how is that like coming like having a kid and then having to come back and yeah <laughs> um both my kids weren't planned <laughs> <laughs> um but um definitely blessed with both of them and I didn't like funny story was we actually had my first daughter's I, I, I didn't know but I was pregnant at my first daughter's first birthday <laughs> oh. so that's kind of how close they are they like my daughter's turning eight later this month and so they'll be eight nine and then in May my other daughter turns 10 so it's actually been yeah I know a long time since I had my kids but being a mum and being a pro athlete is it's it's like I don't know it's it's amazing and um and I'm very grateful because I get to have a whole world that's even more important than rugby outside of rugby Mm. um I get to come home to and fully take off my rugby hat and just be a mum and not have to worry about that I get to um do all these things outside of rugby to take up my time um, that I actually love and, and I'm passionate about. I have two little people who love me no matter what. Um, but then in saying that on the other side, I have to find all this balance. I have to, um, you know, I had to come back from, I think I put on about 15 to 20 kgs with each kid. Oh. Yeah. And so I had to come back from that, that journey and, um, my first time actually playing sevens, I went to Japan and my youngest daughter was, so I, she was five months old at the time when I went to my first sevens tournament. So obviously I just got, I got into training after her. I waited like six weeks, six to eight weeks, got the clear, could train. And I made the Auckland sevens team to travel to Japan. And um, yeah, my daughter was like five, six months. And so she was still on the boob and we had to, <laughs> we had to pretty much cold turkey her and she, so my partner would be in the bedroom and I was in the lounge room and he's trying to feed her, you know, like, like I was expressing and, and um, also formula and she was just screaming and only mums will know, or like dads who hear their kids crying for their mum, <laughs> their babies crying for their mum will understand how hard it was for me, for me to sit in another room and hear my baby cry because she wanted me and not go in there because 
I wanted to go to Japan and I needed her to be able to feed not off me mm. and and um the guilt that I felt was almost too much for me that I wasn't going to go to Japan and I wasn't going to start my sevens journey I almost gave in and I actually walked to the door a couple of times to be like oh don't worry I'm yeah. not going to just g- give her and my partner was like no get out we, it's gonna we're gonna make this work like just go and so I'd be in the lounge room literally crying because I can hear her crying yeah. and then eventually like I would go quiet and then he'd come out and have an empty bottle and he was like oh she took it but pretty much she cried so much she would have like she was crying while she was drinking and then fall asleep because she was so exhausted from crying and we had to do that for like two weeks prior leaving to Japan and then while I was over there, my first tournament, I was still expressing in that. Um, mid-tournament, like after each game, I'd have to express. So um, that's like a unique journey that you'd only, only a few of the ladies have obviously come back into the sevens and from being a mum. You know, you've got Kayla McAllister, Les, um, Les Alda, I think Charmaine Smith, who's an ex-Blackfoot, uh, and she's trying to come back to like these journeys you know of motherhood and living side by side so many think it can't be done but it it's just nice to be not a trailblazer because I know even back in the day before it was professional so many mums have played sports and come back but almost like I love being at the forefront um showing that journey yeah, yeah. oh you're incredible that's uh that's incredible yeah and it's what a what a mother to have them for them growing up looking at you crushing it and getting after it Thank you. I had and, a pretty cool mum too and a nana, so I'm uh, pretty me lucky. too. I had a cool <laughs> mum as well, yeah. Me as well. Um you've an honor your time. Uh one last thing. When you mentioned they're like starting your sevens journey, when so you were at the top of the top with the touch and then the Olympics obviously was happening and seven women's sevens was starting, but like how was that maybe as another kind of trend run in the family or but like switching from the top of one thing and taking the leap like it's so it must be so easy to just stay in the touch yeah I um so there's a couple of players who actually played uh touch I played touch New Zealand women's with them and they were in the um sevens squad at that time so like Morgan Morrow and um Tyler Nathan Wong and I just I was talking with my touch coach Pete Walters so he's the one he went and <laughs> he said to me I think it was like maybe three years out from Rio and he said oh look there's a go off no it would have been four years because they just started in 2012 and he said there's a go for gold campaign um for the Rio Olympics and I was like oh, what's that and he just said oh you know like they're getting all these girls together from anywhere and, and they have camps and they pick a squad and you kind of train um whilst working at that time um to to try and be in the team to go to the build up to the Olympics and I said oh no I'm not no thanks and he was just like no no I think I think you can do it and I was like you yeah, know, nah, I, I don't want to tackle anyone because I, I actually was sitting, what, like tackle? And he was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, no. Nah. And I mean, like, I'd been roughed up a lot of times from my brothers during our years in rugby and in league in the lounge room. Yeah. But oh, it was just, like, so intimidating, you know. You see these girls, how big they are in there, and you're like, oh, no, I'm all good. And he just said, no. I th-, he goes, no, I think you're going to go Olympics. Like, and he, I was like, this guy's so delusional. Like, anyway, fast forward he goes and gets the Auckland Sevens coaching job. He like, he, so not only does he want me to transfer, he transfers himself over 
to be a coach and he gets that and and then he goes sweet come to the trainings and I was like and so yeah that's when I went to one of the trainings and actually he had invited Alan Bunting but I didn't know who Bunce was I didn't know he was the New Zealand Sevens coach at the time assistant coach at the time and he came to the training and he was and he says now I always remember meeting you now because you were the girl in the team who kept putting your hand up and he goes and I could tell you wanted to be perfect straight away and he goes he loved it like everything I told you you done and you would ask other Christians to be better and and he goes and I could remember it was frustrating you that you couldn't be like what you needed to be right then and there and he goes so I knew that if you got involved you would learn real fast because of your first to learn and be better and and so and and he goes and also like the so in that Auckland Sevens team like half of them were New Zealand Sevens players yeah so I was already lucky enough to be surrounded by the best yeah and then, yeah, it just kind of kicked off from there. And then um, I went to the Auckland Sevens. Then I come back and I played the Nationals. And I remember talking to Sean Horan, who was the ex-coach at the time. And Bunce was one of the, um, what do you call it? He was the assistant coach. And he come up to me after Nationals and was like, oh, like, you know, we want you want, want you in the team, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm, I was like, oh, yeah. And then he, they go, so we want to give you a training contract? And I was like, oh, like that's when I was like, oh, what? You get like money? Like, how good? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, kind of just built. Um, the funny, the funniest part, though, I'll tell a little story. The funniest part was when I first met Sean Horan. So Pete was still coaching and I was a coach. He, Pete goes to me, come meet me. So I was pregnant with Tatum Lee. Um, and at that time, so that was 2012 when the Go For Gold just started. And they were down at the touch field looking for players. And Pete had always, so he knew Bunce. So he said, yeah, I want you to meet Nile. Like, she's going to be in your team. She's going to come to the Olympics and, you know, yarning on about me because I was pretty much like his daughter and giving me this big rap. And then he goes, come meet me at field four. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I waddled over and I um, said, hi. And they go, oh, yeah, hi, hi. And then I go, oh, Pete, we're just going to McDonald's. Do you want anything? And then like, he's like looking at me like, no, I don't. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, like calm down. And then I go, and then um, then Sean's like, oh, hi, I'm Sean. I'm the coach of the New Zealand Sevens Women's. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I'm like sitting there talking about Macca's, yeah. like eight months yeah. pregnant. Like, I'm, and Pete's trying to say, this girl's going to be in your team for Rio yeah. Olympics. <laughs> the best athlete, the most professional. Yeah, and I'm about 90 kgs. Yeah, so he's so I'm fully like yeah, pregnant, and, he, and they're like, this chick's gonna be in our team. And Pete's like, no, she, she's actually really amazing. You just gotta give in. Um, by the time that nationals happened, that I told you about, and they came, and they wanted to get offer me a training contract. Um, Sean was like, so I had another kid in that time too. And Sean was like, oh, my God, it's so good to see you not injured and not pregnant for once, like, and finally get to see you play. And um, uh, Bunce talks about, too, the first time he actually seen me play sevens. And, um, like, I was fresh. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, man, I'm just going to, like. So I'd gone to that Auckland sevens tournament. I remember my first tackle. I got I went on the wrong side. Oh, <laughs> Her knee went straight into my eye, so I had a full black eye. And I was like okay, no, I can do this. I'm sure I can do this. And and then, um, but I really enjoyed that tournament and the people I was with was so amazing. Like, the, and they, straight away I knew like, oh man, I can love this sport. And then I came back and there was a, they put a competition on here in New Zealand. It was called Super Series and pretty much anyone who wanted to try get seen, you know, to be a part of the New Zealand teams, you, you mm. made your team and it was all provincial based. 
and I was and I was obviously on the Auckland Waitakere kind of team, and I went down. And the first play, I, I was remember I was playing first five, and I um got the ball off the scrum, and I kind of this was Bunce. He was like, I remember it because I was going to Sean. This is the girl. This was before that nationals. This is the one, and. I, so I got the ball and I ran and I went to the outside of my play and the, the center came in and I kind of did like a like a little offload on that uh, behind her and then yeah. my center ran through and scored and he said that he was like, oh man, Niall, you just like, because I was like, she's going to be good, you know, and Sean was like, yeah, we'll see. And then I did that one kind of play and he just said like from then there was like, oh yeah, she's got it. Like she doesn't really know what she's doing, but if she can do that in contact and kind of one of her first proper tournaments against other players, like, she's 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 gonna be good and I was like oh lucky I practiced so sunny and all those times <laughs> eh and the with the cushions and stuff so no but yeah I definitely have been lucky that a lot of people have um, shifted what they've been doing in their life to try help me achieve goals that I didn't even think were possible and um, yeah so I was training contract for those first couple of years from sevens and I think like my first contract was seven and a half grand for the year yeah. <laughs> and then you just went into camps when because they weren't centralized and you went into camps and each camp you got like you know a few hundred dollars or whatever and I just thought this was amazing they gave me like half a bag of kit that was all probably the leftovers because it was massive but I was like <laughs> whoa look at all this Adidas gear this is so mean and I remember wearing the shoes all the time and the hoodie all the time that I got and and then the next year I got upgraded to another training contract, but it was 15 grand. So it was like the nice. better of the training. And then the following year I got put on a full-time and it was, it would have only been about, I think 40 grand. Um, but I'd come from being a postie. So yeah. I was making 35 grand a year. Wow. And, um, and then now it's just growing and growing each year. And, you know, at the moment I'm just in such a blessed position uh, financially, you know, me and my partner brought our house down here in Tauranga nice. and, we just never would have been in this position if we didn't take a leap of faith. But also if those people around me, my family didn't support me, all those mornings training, looking after baby, um, the coaches, you know, Sean and, and Bunce didn't take that um, chance to sign, like, you know, they signed me. Pete Walters didn't go and get change his whole job to get me into the sevens. Um, and then also, you know, all my mates along the way who have taken time out to help me in sevens rather than, be like oh you're just a touch player go away they actually like put a hand out and said you know what like yeah ask questions and we'll help answer them we'll help you become a better player so yeah definitely lucky <laughs> well awesome. bless yeah well congrats on my house and but the thing is, as well with people people do things for good people as well you know like you'll you'll do someone if you see something in someone you'll you'll go out of your way to help them so i think it works both ways as well they obviously saw <laughs> something in you um thanks so much for your time i've absolutely loved chatting it's been unreal that's so good yeah i love chatting too it's nice to um i like your questions like it's just cool to go back to different memories and and um you bring up that and it kind of sparks your memory and you start thinking of other things so um i'll definitely go and contact a few people now they're from my touch days and just say hello and that so no thank you as well it's been awesome Hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, would you please share it on social media, on Twitter, your Instagram story, or LinkedIn? I'll be really grateful if you'd do that. Niall gave some great lessons around resilience, overcoming adversity, and how to connect with your teammates. By sharing the pod, you never know who will see it, who will listen to it, and will be hugely thankful to you for showing them. 
there was a lot of stuff I took from that and learned from Niall, but one that kind of sat with me was the vulnerability part and the power of it. I've been understanding a lot in recent times and seeing the importance of showing vulnerability, how much strength this shows and how much it can help you. When you think about it, you can bottle everything up. You can put on this facade that you're impervious, that you're so strong, that nothing ever affects you. But that's just not true. None of us are 100% all the time and none of us have gone through our lives without experiencing any trauma. And this trauma affects you from time to time. By sharing that you're not having a great day or that you're struggling with something, it actually shows huge strength. We all know that the difficult thing to do, maybe for men anyway, certainly, is to share how you're truly feeling. That's what takes strength. Showing vulnerability is an important part of leadership and it also brings people closer. You do, of course, need a safe space to be able to do it, but just reflecting on this conversation and what Niall was saying, fair play to Alan Bunting, the coach or her previous coach for having the courage, strength to show that vulnerability. That shows how much he loves his players and how safe he feels around them. And what he did as a leader as well is he showed his players that it is okay to not be 100%. It's okay not to be okay, as people kind of say online now. And that's just really, really powerful because the players then can be themselves. They can open up when they're not feeling great. And that all just helps everyone in the group be there for each other and help each other when someone might be feeling down or whatever it is. And that overall just, just helps everyone. Also, incredible strength from Niall getting back into training and onto the HSBC World Series so soon after having a baby. Jeez, when I was listening to that, like, I've obviously no idea what it's like to give birth and having to shed all that weight and get back up to speed, then having to leave her newborn behind. Fair play to her, hats off. I'm sure it would have been so easy to give up or postpone things for a while. And I really liked her mindset around her age and playing at the peak of her abilities now in her early 30s. I'm 29 and it's something that I kind of thought about a while ago or coming back playing after COVID, not that I'm playing at the level Nile is, but I personally feel fitter, stronger, healthier, happier and at in a better place mentally better than I ever have than I was in my early 20s and just for anyone I think age is such a mindset I'm just really learning that more and more in that you can give up you can start and I see it in people they're like oh I'm getting old oh I'm getting old and but as we chatted about like her brother Sonny Bill playing at the top level into his mid 30s and all these other athletes now just showing that age isn't a factor you know you just keep getting after it if you're an ambitious player and are serious about improving and getting to your next level, I have a Patreon where I'll help you reach your goals and become the player that you know you can be. You'll get extra podcasts which will help you become far more confident, have more self-belief in yourself and your abilities, and I chat about and help you with all things leadership, mental skills, 
and how to bounce back from tough situations and adversity because they're going to come. The link to the Patreon is here in the show notes and also in my Twitter and Instagram bios, which are at offfieldrugby. Please give me a follow there too. I share content based around the things I mentioned. If you enjoy the podcast but don't want any extra content, extra podcasts, like I just chatted about, but would like to show your support, there is a supporters tier on Patreon that you can join through the same links. A lot of podcasts you listen to now are run by big companies with teams behind them to do the scheduling, the research, the editing, and all the extra work that goes into making a podcast, like outside of just having a chat, all that extra work. But I'm just me, a guy with a laptop, a microphone, and a Zoom account trying to chat with interesting people to help you learn new things, help you become better versions of yourself, and maybe bring a smile to your face throughout your day. So I would really, really greatly appreciate any support, and the supporters tier is very, very cheap. You can click into the link and see it. If you've been listening to the pod, you'll know that literally all top players have a mental skills coach or a sports psychology coach, whatever name you put on it. In the Patreon, there's a mentorship tier, which is for people who want to work one-on-one with me to achieve their goals and get them where they want to go. Lastly, if you're a coach and you would like to help your players become more confident, have more self-belief, work on the culture within the team or develop the leadership, please send me a DM on Instagram or my email, which is in the show notes. And the younger, the better when it comes to this. It's so powerful to help young players with the mental side of the game. You ask any player and they will all say, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I wish I knew this when I was younger. So yeah, if you're a coach, send me a DM, would love to chat. Any feedback, thoughts, questions, you can send me a DM on Instagram at offfieldrugby. My Twitter and TikTok is the same handle and my LinkedIn is my name, Brian Moylet. Lastly, if you want to be an absolute legend, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, letting me know what you liked about the episode. I can see them coming in. Thank you very, very much to those people who do. And if you want, you can also take a screen grab of your phone of the episode and share it on your Instagram story or on Twitter. Thanks, Emil, for clicking in today. Greatly appreciate it. Have a good one. Cheers.